Podcast, podcast about horror movies and all things tangentially related to horror, horror movies, and the horror lifestyle, which this week could have included a few things probably, but we opted to go with the horror movie that's being, I would say, Jesse, stop me if you disagree, um, I would say this movie's being unceremoniously and maybe purposefully dumped on the biggest movie weekend of the year, which is Barbenheimer Weekend. If you're not extremely online, all that means is there are two movies that opened this weekend, Barbie and Oppenheimer. And because it's been so long since more than one movie that people were excited about opened at the same time as another, (laughs) because we are starved for uh, theatrical content nowadays, that was a big enough event where it became... It kind of became, I don't even know how to describe it, a cultural phenomenon yeah. that, every, that like everybody is aware of, uh, that transcends film Twitter, it transcends the internet, it's being written about in the paper, it's on the local news. Everybody knew that Barbie was coming out, everybody knew that Oppenheimer was coming out, and uh, we, can lead, we can go right into the box office news because it's all just crazy, but I think it's funny that, you know, biggest movie weekend of the year, of course we're not covering it. Of no. course we're, No. no. Never. Uh, no. We would not. <laughs> we would uh, never stoop so low as to just would, <laughs> cover a popular movie. Cover popular things for clicks, even though Oppenheimer is arguably one of the most horrifying, scary movies of our time because of what it's actually about, even though it's not a traditional horror movie. No way. Never. Um, in reality, we'll probably de- we, we will cover it. I think we have to. Jesse and I have to reckon with Barbenheimer on this week's Patreon. So what a plug for this week. There will be a main feed length, probably Barbie Oppenheimer episode. Jesse and I, of course, have seen them both as well as the rest of the country and the rest of the world. I think everybody has seen this movie, uh, these movies already. Uh, and, and also Sound of Freedom. We have to get Sound of Freedom in there. <laughs> I it's haven't snu- seen Sound of Freedom. <laughs> it's snuck to... Nu- well, Jesse, you can be part of the the greatest showman-like run that this movie is having. <laughs> you can go see it in week, like, eight uh, and get see what it's all about. But Sound of Freedom actually beat Mission Impossible 7 <laughs> in its uh, second weekend, which we'll, we'll, we can talk about the implications for that, maybe behind the paywall. Uh, I got <laughs> some opinions. Gonna, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I just think but we're not going to get doxxed by, um, no. by crazy people. <laughs> My favorite thing is that I can already see Hollywood learning all the wrong lessons from all these box office things. So like Barbie and Oppenheimer doing well, we're just, instead of like realizing that it's like the original content, that's not a sequel that like is unique and interesting, uh, not exactly IP, even though you could argue Barbie is. That movie kind of transcends its own IP-ness, I would argue, with uh, the, the the artistic creds behind it, I guess. And then Oppenheimer is like historical drama biopic. Um, 
you know, it's just like Hollywood doesn't know what to make of this, probably. So we're just going to get Ken, a sequel yeah. to Barbie, and we're going to get Einstein, yeah. a movie about... Yeah. Yeah, who else? They're going to be like, who else? Who else was at the Manhattan Project that we didn't get enough of? Like, who's, we want a Olivia, Olivia Thirlby film That's that right. Character. Yeah, Thirlby get, a, get her own And film. I think Sound of Freedom is going to inspire, like, other indie hits. So I think Art the Clown might actually stumble <laughs> upon a child sex trafficking ring uh-huh. in Terrifier 3. Uh, if they were following trends, I think that's what we're going to see. Uh, so a lot to talk about this week. But no, we're going to talk about the, as I mentioned, I don't think I've even mentioned the title yet. A movie that's being arguably buried by Lionsgate. Do you agree? I mean, it's interesting. It, it, it definitely, I mean, I've seen, I saw... And people always say this, and I usually roll my eyes because it usually just means that they're not going to the movies or not watching linear TV or, like, not making themselves available to see ads. And then they're like, I didn't see a single ad for this. I was like, no shit. You probably have an ad blocker on your browser. You only watch TV on streaming. and That's me. (laughs) That's me about children's movies. I'm like, I don't – they're not advertising this. Are you watching Nickelodeon all day? Right, right. And then you go to – you're staying in a hotel and you watch Disney Channel and whatever new movie that's aimed at kids is coming out is advertised every single – commercial break yes. uh anyway so i do I, I i say this with caution but i had literally never heard of cobweb before you told me about the screener and mm-hmm. i got the email about the screener i never saw a trailer after that it is playing at both theaters in times square in new york city only Very once a day at, at the regal ewok but it's playing all day and in a, in a, has an auditorium to itself at the amc empire 25 but those are the only two places it's playing in manhattan uh, it's playing a few other places in outer reaches of the boroughs, Brooklyn and, and Queens. Um, but it does seem like I, I wish I had a more. I, I can't. I don't know what the screen count is, but it, they certainly are. They're giving it the kind of treatment where you might assume that it's on VOD at the same and time. And it's but. not get. It, I mean, it's small enough that it didn't make a box office impact, or, or it's they not didn't being report reported. It. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there's probably a con- a contract they had with someone saying we have to release this theatrically, and they're you know gritting their teeth and saying they're doing it. You know, <laughs> That's yes, so, yeah. And it's crazy because it stars two. I would say Lizzie Kaplan is arguably in. We, I hesitate to call her an A-lister because I feel like she's more like a t- she's pivoted to TV. Uh, yeah, she was always sort of yeah. It's like yeah. she's been as much TV as as movies always in her career. So, she, but she's right she's a name. She's I mean, famous. We, I think people like, like her. Yeah. Who weekly status is she a who or a them? I think she's a them. <laughs> yeah. I think people. I think people know who she is. And Anthony Starr is objectively a TV star to me. I yes. mean, he's to me. I know him from Banshee, which is a show that if you've listened to the show for the whole time i probably talked about it the whole time that show was about 10 years old it was on stars i think nobody watched cinemax actually oh cinemax Cinemax, which means i think it's on max now and you can actually watch it it's accessible crazy show anthony stars in it most people know him from the boys yes the amazon show that i don't watch he's homelander which i know is like the evil captain america yes exactly yes is that show is that that show good was it good does it hold up do you watch it Uh, i've seen a couple seasons of it I would say that it's not good, mostly. Um, oh, interesting. But uh, you know how I am about television. We know how Jesse is. <laughs> um, it's just but crazy I'll, I'll have that more this movie to say about him related to the boys, actually, when we talk about the movie, because I, okay. I think it's it's relevant to the movie. Interesting. But yeah, Cobweb has no box office uh, reported info. It's not available on VOD, and I don't have a theater count for you. So check your local listings. <laughs> I've, I've heard people say it's at their AMC. Yeah, and I, that's the case in New York, but it's it's getting the New York treatment as if it's one of those movies that might only be in this one theater right, in New York right. or nowhere else. Yeah, so it's hard to know. Uh, and I think 
before I watched the movie and I saw that they had a trailer that I would say went mini viral when it went out, people were like, ooh, a horror movie with Lizzie Kaplan, cool. And the trailer's cut pretty decently. It looks like a different movie, I would argue. We can talk about that. Um, and here it is. It can- comes out in between Barbie and Oppenheimer, which let's just go right to the news of the week, Jesse, because the biggest news of the week is that Barbie opened to – it's Sunday morning or afternoon is when we're recording this, and it's set- Barbie just came in at 155 for the weekend. Yes. Arguably could go up to 160, I hear, from Deadline. Uh, and Oppenheimer, an R-rated historical biopic that's three hours long, it made eighty million, eighty point five million dollars, yeah. higher than, I mean, so many comps you could make. But I, the deadline compares it to like Logan. Like Logan yeah. made about eighty-eight opening weekend, and that's a superhero movie that was yes. that happened to be R-rated. Um, yeah. It's just unbelievable. It outgrossed Indiana Jones's opening weekend. It outgrossed. I think it did outdid John Wick four. Yeah, it did more than John Wick 4, did more than Mission Impossible. It did more than most of this year's hit movies. It's one of the biggest openings of the year. And the biggest opening of the it opened opposite the biggest opening of the year, which was Barbie. <laughs> and I think it's, you have to admit, I'm sure if you got to Nolan this weekend and talked about box office, he would admit this too, right? It feels like Barbie lifted Oppenheimer a lot. I think it did. I mean, I think it was really. I think they kind of fed off of each other. I mean, I obviously, agree. Barbie is yes. the bigger is the bigger success here. Yeah, that's what makes me the... say it that way. Even yeah, though it feels yeah. like they did help each other, it yeah. was more that like Barbie was this like what four quadrant thing maybe, whereas Oppenheimer seemed a little more limited. Yeah, and it just didn't play that way. It really felt like a lot of people were interested in seeing both, and that a lot of people. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure there are plenty of people who saw one or the other. But there also must yeah. have been a fair number of people who said, I'm going to do both. Like, maybe if you were interested in one, and then you're like, fuck it, I'm going to see the other one, too. It's a cultural um, phenomenon. I got to yeah. go to the water cooler on Monday yeah. and talk about it's, it. It is it's, it is really... I've been, I'm, I've been out and about this weekend. I didn't go to the movies since I saw these movies at the screenings. I've just been hanging yes. out with my family. But out and about, I, I like... I, this is just anecdotal, but, like, I don't... This does not happen with a lot of other movies. I definitely overheard people talking about Barbie... Uh, yes. At like the shoe store when I went to get give my kids some sneakers. The, also, the, the girls Barbie's marketing campaign is just unavoidable. It's yes. everywhere. It's yeah, on they every a, aspect of life. They did a great. Point. They did a great job with it. And uh, I saw people. I like saw people out in the wild, not even at a movie theater, just like on the subway wearing their Barbenheimer themed, you know, Mimi t shirts or whatever. Yeah. Uh, or just some of them. I saw just Barbie shirts. Um. So. It definitely became it just became a huge deal in a way that they they I think they this is what they envision with every comic book movie or with every big summer movie that there's going to be this kind of mania for it, at least for a weekend. And most of these movies haven't been able to pull it off. And both of these did at the same time. And I do think there was kind of a sense of like, yeah, like, oh, they're kind of both getting extra press from each other, you know, like that's it's just, you know, kind of this perfect storm of. If you're hearing about Barbie, you also start hearing about Oppenheimer. And if you're interested in Oppenheimer and would have no interest in Barbie, you're still going to hear a bunch about Barbie because they're opening on the same day. It's one of it's one of those phenomenons where people that don't go to the movies, like I yeah. had two friends texted me about both movies, saying like one of them, friends who don't go to the movies ever saw Barbie on Friday and Oppenheimer on Saturday, <laughs> and that is insane. Yeah. That is like movie freak behavior. Yes. Yeah, it's not that, normie no, behavior. Uh, yeah, yeah. You, whenever you see like kind of surveys about like how often you go to the movies, like you find out that what's considered going to the movies a lot in just for like a normal person is like once a month. 
Yeah. <laughs> so for just for like a bunch of normal people to probably have seen both movies this weekend, or at least to see one this weekend and maybe see the other the ne- next weekend, that is like you know a hundred percent increase in movie going for at least some part of the population or maybe it's just the movie people all all mobilizing in a way that sometimes i feel like you know there's like twitter mania about things and then people just don't actually go they just like the memes yeah. or, or they wait for it to to, to be torrentable and like yeah. want to you know ooh, it's on the torrents now i can live watch it and get you know that's much more that's that's better content than me just going to see a movie like a normal person and this these movies did get people out to just like to, as much as like people complain about oh there's been so much online chatter that's so annoying about both it got them it got people out to actually see the movies like people were excited a lot of people went on thursday night for both they went out they went to continue to go through the weekend people really I wanted, wanted to see to these go again on a whim and i, I couldn't there yeah no tickets there's no tickets there's yeah. no tickets for any i was like okay i'll check i obviously imax is full uh the regular 70 is full and then I just was like, okay, I'll just settle for any movie. Yeah, right. Uh, at any AMC, they were all full yesterday and, yeah. and today. Uh, I can probably sneak in during the week in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, just because it's a Nolan, I feel like I should take advantage of the closed or the open caption screening. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, you ca- could actually make sure hear. I get all the words. It's a completely different experience. Yeah. Yeah. Wow, I really <laughs> understood it this time. No, there's only a couple things I think I missed, but like none of them felt crucial to the movie or anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's just the story, the box office story is unfolding. Like, this is opening weekend. And yeah. we're talking about it being such a phenomenon that you can't get tickets. And that that extends through its entire three-week three run, which yeah. has – there's three weeks of tickets available on the, the, the New York app for the yeah. IMAX theater. And it's all – they're all sold. Like, yeah. you, you still can't get into, like, the one in three weeks. So they're yeah. obviously going to have it for longer than that. And yeah. then – that means the box office, is, the uh, the holds on both of them are going to be probably historic too. Don't you? Don't you feel that in the air? I, I think there'll be a little drop off just because it's just because of the level they're opening at. Sure. Um, but I do think, yeah, like especially this August has does not have a lot of major titles opening next weekend. There's like a Disney the Haunted Mansion thing, which could do okay, but like it's not the same audience really. I guess maybe it has some Barbie overlap. I think some families are going to Barbie, but like. They have the perfect. I mean, they just got like the perfect schedule for them both to do keep doing great business. And I feel bad for uh, for Mission Impossible, not just because yep. it kind of got knocked around by these movies, but because there was a thought that like, oh man, I can't believe they locked I, the Nolan movie into IMAX for three weeks. But you know, afterwards they'll probably want to bring Mission Impossible back because that you know that Nolan thing is not going to be drawing yeah, people for three anymore. weeks. And nope. no, it's no no way it's gonna that thing is gonna be playing in IMAX until September probably, uh, if not longer. Uh, so <laughs> I guess I think I, I do think Mission Impossible will level back out and probably hang out just because there's not another big action movie. So I think these those three movies, uh, plus for crazy people, Sound of Freedom, have the demographics kind of <laughs> locked up for the next month. Um, and like, yeah, I think, you know, Ninja Turtles will do fine and maybe some of these other things will do fine. But like those three, four movies are like going to just chug along, I think, and people are going to keep going to see them especially barbie and oppenheimer um which is great to see and they because like i haven't seen sound of freedom but those other three barbie oppenheimer and the the poor abused little brother mission impossible dead reckoning part one are all really yeah. good i really liked all of them a lot so i'm yeah. it's just delightful to see uh see like the big summer movies actually 
delivering and in three very different registers right like this is that's like a nice variety of of summer movies that you're getting here it's like almost like it's 1992 again just in terms of it not being three different action sequels it's like three very just different types of movies and you want to i want this moment to be like wow i'm so hopeful for the future of the industry and movie going and that's what should be happening right now but instead we're in the midst of the strike where the studio execs are being such you know they could they could end this tomorrow yes. uh, with a phone call and just agreeing and I'll look to that point let's talk about the strike for just a second uh, for people wondering like what's going on with it you know things are on hold except for like a there's a list of like 30 movies that are allowed to keep shooting and on their list are a pair of A24 movies yeah. and A24 is not a part of the um the alliance of motion picture and television producers because they're a yeah. smaller company so like they're them and a bunch of other indie producers agreed to the terms yes. <laughs> that sag wants and that's all it takes for this whole thing to be over yep. so it just goes to show it's total greed horseshit that yes. this is all happening and the smaller a ton of indie studios all agreed to the to the terms a24 which is like small but also big enough for people to know its name they agreed to the terms it's all doable it's all a matter of we talked about this last week, Hollywood accounting, budgets yeah. being inflated because people are just pilfering off the fucking budget probably. And um, all that shit. It's just all crazy. Bob Iger and fucking Zaslov are making 50 to 100 million a year right. while it, there's no residuals anymore for anybody. Make the fucking deal. That's yes. it. Um, yes. That's all I have to say about that. And that is leading to the reason I mentioned it in conjunction with Barbie is because right before the Barbie numbers came in, the studios were like hedging that they're going to start delaying all these movies yes. uh, to the fall. Right. Like Dune, tw- Dune two might get pushed to 2024. Yes. Warner brothers considering moving color purple and Aquaman two, which we'll, we'll get back to Aquaman in a minute. I have a lot more news on that front. I'm sure you read the article uh, as yes. well. Yes. But the move, the moving movies thing is like a threat that they say we're going to, we're not negotiating. We're preparing for this to go for the long haul, blah, blah, blah. And it's just, read the fucking room, man. It's just yeah. like, read the goddamn room. It is unbelievable that, like, the, the movies are thriving. Theatrical is thriving. They're realizing. To me, it's a, it should be a hopeful moment where you're like, superhero movies are cresting downward. And random, like, I know bar- people, like, roll your eyes saying that to get excited about Barbie doing well. But I genuinely think it's, it's cool and interesting for a movie like that to do well. But Oppenheimer is really wild to see do yeah. well. Yes. And I, I love that. And, like, I just... It's just so cool to see, and I was, like, hopeful for a second that this could lead to, like, a renaissance of actual art and good movies and less superhero shit. And it just feels like the studios are so dug in that I don't, don't even know if anything's going to change. Yeah. It, it's it's very, like, to see that they were all threat. I mean, maybe they'll change their tune, but the idea that they were all, like, well, we'll just, in that case, we'll just start delaying stuff. You know, we don't care. Oh, yeah. It's like, so, so, that's, doesn't, I don't understand how that's not cutting off your nose to spite your face. I don't get, it like. Well, you that? have to understand, they hate movies. The studio yeah. executives don't care about yeah. this stuff. That's yeah. really the bottom line. It's like, the guys in charge of the, th- of the movie studios are now these crass tech exec people who just it's all bottom line and growth that doesn't yeah. actually things that don't actually happen in these industries they right. want to make everything a startup and yeah. it just doesn't work that way uh so yeah you're right it is it is doing that uh, cutting off their nose despite their face uh challengers the zendaya movie was pushed yes the luca guadagino pushed to april 2024 after a couple uh the new york 
of the New York's finest press have seen it already. Did you know this? I didn't know this, but I that makes sense because it was really it was going to premiere at like the end of August at, at Venice, and I get well, that one. I get because like. I get like that's a small movie. You probably need some care with it, and you probably want to get a lot of Zendaya press that has not yet been happened. That has not yet happened. Uh, you probably want to give her giving her lots of interviews and magazine covers that they can't do now. Um, so I get in on an individual basis, but then when you're talking about Warner Brothers, like thoughtfully considering pushing their entire slate as if Dune is really dependent on Chalamet talking to the press, you know, <laughs> like well, yeah. Like people are excited to see Dune, so it's, then it just becomes a spiteful thing. Well, you know, where, where I can see your small being scared that your small movie just isn't gonna, you know, isn't gonna have the juice to pop through if you don't have like your big star out there. Dune and Aquaman, I don't know that they really need people pressing the. F- I mean, Barbie shows that it probably really helps to have your star as game to do a bunch of stuff. So I get it, but like it does feel like, well, then just make the fucking deal if that's what you want. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, it's just, obscene. Pu- just pushing it off, being like, oh, well, this won't be a thing in six months. Like, guess what, guys? If it if you don't make a deal, it will be. Like, It's so uh, comic. They're so comically dug in. I just don't know where it ends. But yeah, uh, I guess yeah. We'll, we'll find out. Uh, I want to go back to box office because I forgot to say some fun things. Mostly just worldwide look at Barbie. $337 million globally for Barbie opening wow. weekend. And Oppenheimer is 174 million worldwide, so that's Oppenheimer's at 93.7 overseas total, and Barbie's at um, 182 million total uh, world uh, internationally. That's you know combine them with the domestics for those big numbers, and that is absolutely insane. Just biggest of the year by far. Uh, you know what else is doing really well sneakily? I mean, we knew it did well last week. We mentioned it. But Insidious the Red Door, Jesse, yes, yes. is at $155 million after two weeks. Yes. Isn't that unbelievable? It at, is fantastic. The budget was $16. <laughs> it, it, it's made 10 times its budget already. And well, and like, had, yeah. Uh, yeah, a lot of people made this point, but like Sony, uh, Screen Gems, and, and, and the other the other arm that they do, um, what the, the, that's like the direct-to-video one, but occasionally something comes in theatrical. Stage six. They've had yes. a bunch of movies not connect, right? Or that didn't do that well, or did medi- mediocre. Like Night to the Zodiac, Love yeah. Again. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying uh, to think of the Sony screening room <laughs> of yeah. screenings. <laughs> In- the Invitation, which we didn't even get to see at the screening room, uh, and uh, the the Russell Crowe one, Pope's Exorcist. Uh, and, like, those movies weren't huge failures because, in fact, I think Pope's Exorcist, they were even talking about a sequel just because it did okay enough and it has a star and all that. But, like, you see how in one movie... One Insidious pretty much wipes away any losses from those movies. I mean, I don't know. I don't have the balance sheet, but like it sure well, seems Hollywood like accounting wise, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure it'll be in the red for years. So in, it'll be in the red door for years, as it were. But the like, yeah, this movie made 155 worldwide. That kind of like you can you can take four or five shots and have a couple of them completely flop if one of them is a cheap movie that does really well. But that's not really the business. A lot of the other studios, like Disney, would not doesn't bother with that kind of thing and and warner brothers uh doesn't really bother with that kind of thing and it's too bad because like it makes you can really pay for a lot of stuff when you (laughs) when you have a a hit movie that people like well enough and and does well does well worldwide as the insidious movie does and as most big ticket horror movies do i do wonder like i wonder what about we'll talk about sure we'll talk about this but like what the prognosis is for talk to me which is the other big movie coming out uh this weekend against the i hear it's tracking like like at five like it's not going to yeah. open it to yeah. anything. Yeah, I mean, I it it probably doesn't. It was, not, I'm sure, not an expensive movie to acquire. Uh, but I, that's it, you know, 
fucking uh, the is, horror trend. I'm not going to name any names, but let's just say I've heard from a source that I it's funny. Cause this actually came up organically in a conversation I was having with somebody who happened to have the insight. And I was like, I think it's kind of lame that talk to me went with a 24 because like it doesn't feel like like they're the ones to market that to be a hit. Yeah. I was like, if like Searchlight got it and treated it like a barbarian or something like I just was like, there's no it just doesn't feel like the right home. And this person told me and they and they're and they're a person that would know. I'm trying to pull up the messages. Um, they passed on Monkey Paw uh, and Universal. Really? They've allegedly passed on that because um, they get the they get to keep their IP at a twenty four. And if it was at Universal, they would have um, they would have you know Universal Universal would have owned their IP. Uh, but the, the Universal offer was more money, but they would have, um, you know, not owned it anymore or whatever. Right. So they decided to keep their IP ownership and go at A24. But I think that they botched themselves because now it's not going to make any money. Right. And now well, if you make a slice of a deal that doesn't make any money, you don't really make any money. So yeah. I'm worried about it doing well. I think Talk to Me is good. Jesse does not. We will talk to, about it next week on the podcast. For I'm sure. seeing it again uh, this week, and I'm excited too. Are you going to that? TMNT screening? No, uh, I'm I'm out of town, so I'm just you know they're they're doing an early, another one of those like public sneak previews mm-hmm. um, when I'm back. This like nice. the Monday. That, it yeah, comes there's out. there's the there's like a 2 p.m. on a weekend and like a seven on a Monday, I believe. Oh yeah, there's like the, a sneak preview and the early access both. Oh nice nice. Um yeah, I'll be back in town for the Monday one, <laughs> so I'm gonna take the family and we're gonna go hopefully have a good time. Uh, so I'm not going to the screening. Uh, this week. Well, I'll be at the TMNT movie by myself like a weirdo, and then I'm going <laughs> right into Talk to Me at the early access. It's perfect. Oh, nice. Perfectly perfect. timed double feature. Uh, and I'm seeing Haunted Mansion on Monday. Are you going oh, to that? I'm not. I, 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 that one, I didn't... Like, I'm like I'm in town, but getting ready to leave, so I think I'm just going to see that while I'm on vacation, possibly right. at the drive-in at in Ooh. very far upstate New York. The drive-in up there is I'm like refreshing the page with great interest because they have like these they've I think the drive-ins have caught on that like the static one one full week of the same two double features is not always great for business so they like switch it up a little more uh but it means that like they have not quite landed on my ideal Barbie again with Haunted Mansion double feature uh there's like Barbie paired with Sound of Freedom on one screen oh my god (laughs) I do kind of want my Marissa's like fuck no I'm not gonna see Sound of Freedom which I it's not as abhorrent as you think it's only like the the everything surrounding it that makes it so yeah it's very I'm it's very tame in content I'm curious but I also it's not good it's like it's it's pretty bad and they're showing yeah the other screen is Insidious and Mission Impossible. And <laughs> Mission Impossible starts at 11. So that will be out at 2 a.m. So no thank you. I also saw it again already. Yeah. Um, but then, like, they're doing that for a few days. Then they're reversing the order, which I think more drive-ins should do. They're doing a Sound of Freedom, then Barbie, and Mission Impossible, then Insidious. Makes a lot of sense to see Mission Impossible earlier. And then when Thursday, when ha- Haunted Mansion comes out, they're doing just Haunted Mansion, not as a double feature, I guess, to be, like make it a special kind of preview showing they haven't announced what the other screen is showing and then i don't know what that friday what they're going to pair with haunted mansion so i'm waiting to see this is all piece of stuff people do not need to know about how i'm no, going to I'm see haunted this mansion. TikTok 
of your um, <laughs> my driving Je- habits. And, yeah, when and, will Jesse see Haunted Mansion? We don't put know. Your be- we put just your don't bets know. In now. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of I'm like it's funny. I, I I've taken my kid to a lot of the summer movies this year. And Marissa was going to go see Barbie this weekend, or I think on, she ended up going on Thursday and did the rare, you know, you've heard of Barbenheimer. She did uh, Barbidius and saw Barbie <laughs> and then Insidious. Although she yes. got displaced from her Insidious show. She bought, she AMC'd a, a Stubbs to in, Insidious show and then got there and found that it had been replaced with a Barbie screen <laughs> and they just weren't showing Insidious. So they she didn't had to go fucking to, tell her. No, like, someone sorry. was like, you're in my seat. And she was like, no, this is my seat. It's on the app here. And he's like, well, actually, no. Um, so she had to go see it at a Regal that was still playing Insidious. Uh, anyway, you can do Barbidius at the drive-in in, uh, in, in upstate New York. Um, what was I going to say? Oh, my, my kid. I, I, so we were like, when we were talking about when Marissa might go see Barbie, I was like, I would see it again. Like if, if, if the kid wants to see it, well, we could all go on Friday together. Uh, and our kid is just like, I'll wait for streaming for that. <laughs> She's seen every movie this summer. Almost all the big movies this summer, except like Mission Impossible. She's treating it like I treated Endgame. The yeah, biggest she movie is, in the world. It's the biggest movie of the summer. And it's the one where she was, instead of just being like, either I want to see that or sure, I'll go if you're offering, which was kind of what Indiana she Jones must was. Not, does she not have Barbie dolls? She, she has a couple. Like I, I, We never like tried to stop her, but she was more... Uh, <laughs> no, not yeah. those. Well, my my mom. We'll get to this. I'm sure on the bonus episode. But my mom was very anti Barbie and wouldn't buy oh. them for my little sister. Uh, she would let our relatives buy them for her, but she was like, I don't want to do that. Uh, and as a result, all of our relatives bought her Barbies, and she had a fucking <laughs> thousand of them. So that kind of backfired. Um, and I was. I will talk about on the bonus episode how much how much I think they got Ken right as someone who has had to play Ken with his little sister many times. Um, but never yeah. played Alan. Yeah, apparently Alan's <laughs> we nev- real. We never had Alan. Uh, only one Ken, as the the typical Barbie Ken ratio. There were twenty Barbies and, and one shirtless Ken. We had the Spice Girls Barbie set. I oh, I love that! We don't, that I don't think great. we opened it. That's the yeah. thing. It's like we yeah, had too valuable. We had the ones we played with, and then there was like. We have the full Spice Girls set. We're not yeah. opening it. Uh, yeah. Let's check the eBay on that. Yeah. I'm pretty sure, pretty sure it's not raking in any money. For I'll the give family. you twelve dollars for it. There's yeah. a there is a good there's a Spice Girls uh, song cue very because owing to I think Greta Gerwig being just a little bit younger than I am, um, she and a she little bit out. older than me presumably. Yeah, she has a little she has a Spice Up Your Life uh, song cue in in the movie. Uh, no, but my kid never. She has a few Barbies. In fact, I was able to recognize the mermaid Barbies in the movie because. She she did. She does have a mermaid Barbie, um, but she her fa- she has fashion dolls or ha- she doesn't play with them now. But when she was little, she played with fashion dolls. But it was almost all like frozen. That's the you know, name of like, a brand. Dis- yeah. No, dolls? no, no. That's just oh, the kind. Just, okay. of, that's Got just it. the kind of doll that is. Uh, the the Barbie uh, the Barbie style doll is versus a like doll. an action figure of a, yeah, either something. an action figure yeah. or like a kind of more more plush style doll. You know, like the mm-hmm. the skinny Barbie scale uh, dolls are fashion dolls because you can like mess with their clothes and stuff. She Got had like it. you know Disney ones of those, so we have a lot of Disney fashion dolls, but not very only like a couple of Barbies here and there. So it really doesn't mean anything to her. I thought she might thought it would think it was funny just because it's like has a lot of fun silly stuff in it well so yeah might, a lot of the humor is it. definitely aimed at children like that's what like kind of turned me off about it at first and i'm like this movie's not for me who cares but i'm like this movie needs to be funnier and then i'm like well go think of the perspective of a child like the the yelling about flat feet is gonna make them laugh yeah and the exactly. puking. like not yeah. me but like yeah. that's for them 
and the beaching off conversation, which really pissed, which really bothered me. That's well, I was just that just stuck out to me because I was like, that doesn't sound like a Bombac or a Gerwig joke. <laughs> it doesn't, all. and it's like I couldn't tell if it was the trailer having those lines that made them feel weird in the movie, uh, like just stale, or if it was like this humor just is off from what the humor of the movie is. Yeah, uh-huh. but yeah, the first t- ten minutes are rough. I thought, but we'll talk about it on the po- on the on the bonus episode. Uh, so yeah, Barbsidious double feature. On this podcast today, we're talking about Cobweb, as we mentioned. So I'm trying to think. Uh, Webenheimer is, this stu- <laughs> is a thing you could do. Yes. Uh, b- barb web, web barb. I don't know. Cob, cobby. <laughs> <laughs> bar- barb web. Webenheimer is good though. Do Webenheimer yeah. double feature. I yeah. think. Yeah. At least one of those movies is very good. Um, biggest news of the week, Jesse. And tell me what you think of this move. Instead of moving uh, Saw X away from its date uh like further away from its october late october release date lionsgate is moving it up to september 29th a full month early what do you make of that i mean it it's you know the traditionalist in me is like no it's got to be the quick kill one weekend of halloween last minute no we know the word of mouth isn't going to be good you know the same as the as the vast majority of these movies coming out right before halloween and then immediately disappearing from theaters tumbling 80 percent the second weekend but when I'm able to break away from my traditionalist viewpoint, yeah. I do think, yes, it does make sense to ble- release horror movies in the run-up to Halloween rather than three days before. <laughs> it's always yeah. was a weird thing about... It kind of plays into how Saw isn't really a Halloween movie, even though that's always been when it came came, came out, save that one uh, spiral coming out in May. Uh, it, it doesn't have the Halloween vibes, so I get why they weren't that precious about having it playing through October. And I doubt this one will still be playing come Halloween. I mean, there's no Saw movie that has had, except the first one that has really played and played. Um, but I, I just like when they, you know, when horror movies like play through October. So I think it makes sense. Can you hear this? Oh yeah, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Your, your, your non-reaction had me. I was like, no, Shit, I was just grooving. I was just grooving with it. I was just like, yes, <laughs> nodding as I'm going. <laughs> I wanted to cue up the, uh, yeah, uh, sick. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna read now. Spoilers here. If you don't want to know what the plot of this new movie is, I'm gonna go ahead and read the the plot. Are you ready, Jesse? Yes, I'm ready. John Kramer is back, and it's the untold chapter of Jigsaw's final games. Set between the events of Saw 1 and 2, a sick and desperate John travels to Mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer, only to discover the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. The infamous killer returns to his work, turning the tables on the con artist in his signature visceral way through devious, deranged, and ingenious traps. Yes. <laughs> I'm live DJing now. <laughs> I really feel like I'm realizing how I've how, how I'm how I'm doomed when I hear that music. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it would pay off better, but yeah. it was still going. <laughs> no, I, was, I, I didn't. Was I didn't the timing didn't work out great there, but we had fun. Uh, Jesse, we joked a hundred million times that the twist of this movie had to be that it took place between different Saw sequels. So how delighted were you to hear that that's the case? I was delighted and relieved. I was confused. I have to go back and check the summaries because Marissa heard this and she was like, 
doesn't two already take place during one? Isn't that part of the Of course of it does. Yes, I think it does. So I think how they do all you, take place how during do you each other. fit a whole other movie in, the, in that nesting doll? You have to you put a backwards cap on yeah. Jigsaw and everything's fine. What do you mean? He's they laying on the ground. He's laying on the floor during all of Saw. And Saw uh-huh. 2 at least partially takes place while Saw is happening. So when does he uh-huh. have time to go to fucking Mexico? <laughs> You're going to see him sick. switch the He's body up. He's a sick out. man. Yeah. He's a sick man. I'm, I'm excited to see how they do it. Because uh, for all of the ridiculous things we say about the continuity, it generally holds up okay in terms of, like, I can't find any errors usually. Uh, any really big conflicts, uh, you know, that, that they uh, contradictions that they introduce. So yeah. I, I have faith that they'll, they'll make it right. They'll do it right. We're... Team Mandalore or bust, yeah. <laughs> uh, as far as I'm concerned. Costas Mandalore has to make an appearance in Saw X for me to be uh, satisfied with what's going on. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited for that movie. I'm not as excited that it's coming out when I'll have a freshly newborn baby in my life. Oh. So I'll probably will have to catch it at home. Uh, maybe Lionsgate will be cool. They're gonna give me a. They're gonna treat me right, and they're gonna give me a special <laughs> early copy. They're gonna say gonna they're giving you an early copy, and then uh, on the screen, <laughs> psh, it's gonna be Billy the Doll being like, "Brett, you've asked for you asked for an early copy. You're a new so, father, yeah, yeah. but your priorities are out of order." <laughs> and then there's gonna save be your son <laughs> or watch Saw X. <laughs> Make, Make your choice. <laughs> I need I needed the music back. Yeah. Fuck. I wasn't ready. Oh my gosh. Um did you oh you haven't seen Oppenheimer a second time. Did you know that The Exorcist Believer has an exclusive trailer attached to it? I did hear that that was the case, yeah. Um I don't want to read anything about the trailer because that's always silly for someone who doesn't watch trailers to like read about them. Silly. Um so I will not do that. There's a post on Bloody Disgusting if you care. But I did see the posters. Did you see the posters? Yes. They look, A, I would say scary. Um, creepy, Reagan-esque looking um, possessed girls that definitely harken back to the 70... Uh, God, what year did The Exorcist come out? I thought it was 77, but that's... Is that the year the second one came out? Uh, yeah. Wait, uh, 77? Yeah, I think 77 is when the second one came out, yeah. So the first one's 73. That's yes, right. That's I right. always forget that. It's earlier than I than I remember. Yeah. Uh, David Gordon Green, as we know, is doing The Exorcist Believer. It's supposed to be part one of a new trilogy. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I wasn't thinking anything of it. I'm excited about it because it's a new David Gordon Green movie. It's a new Exorcist movie. Uh, it's apparently going to be an IMAX, which is interesting. Uh, and I think this, po- this poster made me a little more excited. I think it looks I'm like, wow, they actually... It looks like it could be a poster for the 73. That's what, like, the vibe is for me. Cool. Like, it definitely is deliberately trying to do that. Yeah. So, hopefully it works out. Ellen Burstyn's in it. I think we know that Linda Blair's going to be in it, but we, it hasn't been announced, but I think we know that. So, keep an eye out for that. Uh, what else do we have? Did you see the trailer for Dear David? I did not. Is that like the Twitter thread horror movie? Yes, it is. So move over, Zola. We have a new Twitter thread horror movie based on a viral Twitter thread that is most definitely fake. Uh, you can go to knowyourmeme.com if you want to know about the Dear David story. It's about on August 7th, 2017, some guy on Twitter began telling a story of how a dead kid's haunting his apartment and trying to kill him. And all the tweets got a ton of views and he would post videos and people would pretend to see stuff in them. And I think it became like a meme where people would pretend 
that they saw stuff, but it seems like the movie's taking it at face value. I'm not quite sure. Uh, it's out on October 13th um, in theaters via Lionsgate and BuzzFeed Studios. Wow. Uh, yeah. In the film, shortly after Adam responds to internet trolls, he begins experiencing sleep paralysis while an empty rocking chair moves in the corner of his apartment. Just like naming points of the video that he posted. <laughs> uh, as, he, as he chronicles increasingly malevolent occurrences in a series of tweets, he begins to believe he's being haunted by the ghost of a dead child named David. Encouraged by his boss to continue the thread, he starts to lose his grip on what is online and what is real. Based on the viral Twitter thread by BuzzFeed comic artist Adam Ellis. That is why it's a BuzzFeed picture. John McPhail, who directed Anna and the Apocalypse, has directed it. I like that movie. Yeah, um, that was a fun movie. Justin Long's apparently in this, along with a bunch of person that people I've never heard of. And it's written by Mike Van Weiss, who I'd never heard of, but whose credits include, Jesse, the Crooked Man movie that was an conjuring thing that never happened. Uh-huh. He wrote that. He has an in-development, untitled Wizard of Oz horror movie untitled leprechaun project <laughs> he wrote the live action lilo and stitch movie and then he wrote this that's all there's like no previous credits this guy came out of nowhere with a bunch of stuff no idea how that happens uh but mike van weiss is the guy uh dear david this caught me by surprise jesse i'm pretty sure correct me if i'm wrong maybe we have mentioned this in the past as like when it was announced but it seems like it's it happened faster than i was ready for Paramount Plus, straight to Paramount Plus, not in theaters, has a sequel to the 2019 Pet Cemetery, and it's called Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, and it's got David Duchovny in it. Did you? Are you? Were you aware of this? Does this no, sound familiar? Not even a little bit. <laughs> okay, cool. So that I don't feel as crazy. Pam Greer's also in it. Wow. Uh, yeah. So here's the premise. It re. It's a prequel. And it reimagines the first encounter that young Judd Crandall has with the sour earth deep inside Ludlow, Maine. In 1969, a young Judd Crandall has dreams of leaving his hometown of Ludlow, Maine behind, but soon discovers sinister secrets buried within and is forced to confront a dark family history that will forever keep him connected to Ludlow. Banding together, Judd and his childhood friends must fight an ancient evil that has gripped Ludlow since its founding and once unearthed has the power to destroy everything in its path. Um, it's out on October 6th streaming. So, uh did you also dislike that movie as much as I did? I don't remember. The the remake of the Pet Cemetery remake or re- yeah. yeah, I found it really nasty, which I know that's the reputation of the book. But Yeah, the book's great. But it was I found it nasty in kind of a like sour kind of pointless way. Like I felt like it was to me like it was trying to punish its characters. Uh it, no matter for no matter what they want. You know, like in both directions. Like Either you believe in there's a, there's an afterlife, fuck you, you don't, well, also fuck you. It just felt like a nasty, I don't know, it was just a nasty piece of work. It felt misjudged to me, frankly. <laughs> I didn't like it at all. Well, do you think they fixed it by putting David <laughs> Duchovny in it? Yes, I do. <laughs> that does address one of my complaints, that I don't see David Duchovny in enough movies. But I'm surprised that they addressed that complaint, frankly, so who knows. <laughs> I'm also surprised any time they throw a quote-unquote, like... Uh, big property horror thing like this on streaming like that seems like i know i think that i don't think that movie did particularly well i'm sure it did fine um i'll have to look it up and see if it actually i think it did okay like, but lost not, money yeah. but like it seems like a movie that you put in theaters so you get that free advertising uh for it's a quick um uh vod release yeah yeah it made 110 worldwide 
about 50-50 domestic international on a budget of 21. So it was profitable. Um, but maybe with marketing and stuff, maybe just barely. But it's, you know, I feel like we're o- we should be over the era of put put it on the streaming service so we could get more subscribers, like that play. So to, m- to me, this feels like it must have VOD quality. Yeah, you know? it, it probably is something that, that would have been a direct-to-DVD or a small release ahead of a DVD thing, you know, and I, I, that's my guess, too. Yeah, it does feel like that's the quality, but we'll have to see. Pet Cemetery Bloodlines. Even the even the title. That's like the that's already the title of like the sixth <laughs> or seventh Hellraiser yes. sequel. <laughs> Amazing. And a Netflix show with uh Kyle Chandler and uh, Lindy Cardellini. Oh yeah. Anyway, did you read I think you said you did. The Warner Brothers quest to build a better Aquaman sequel. Yes. Three reshoots, two Batmans, and nonstop test screenings. Could you like sum it up? Like what? Did, what was your takeaway from this article? Uh, yeah, I mean, it just seems like Aquaman, by virtue of when it was being made, wound up being under three different Warner Brothers administrations, as it were, and that combined with some not so great test scores as they were fine tuning the movie, it kind of protracted what I think is normal for a comic book movie to have these sort of like you shoot the movie and you assemble and you test and you screen it for family and friends or, or maybe for a test audience. And then you, that informs the reshoots that you've already built into the schedule to go back and do a couple you know, a week or two of reshoots that, that fix some things and, and uh, kind of help put finishing touches on the movie. And it sounds like that process in particular for Aquaman, instead of being kind of, Oh yeah, we built in two weeks of reshoots a couple months down the line. No big deal. Ended up happening like three times. <laughs> It just seems like that process was really drawn out instead of being like a little bit of a, I mean, I will say not to like sound like I'm boosting Warner brothers. Certainly Zaslav can go fuck himself, but like the, it does seem like, I feel like the Marvel approach to this, at least recently has been like, well, we got to make the date and then just like, you know, trying to fix it with that one round of reshoots. And if it doesn't, I mean, that's you get kind of the quantum. If it doesn't. Yeah. Then yeah, exactly. You yeah. get the, uh, what's that fucking thing's name. You get Modoc looking the way it does. Right. Right. You just, f- you know, figure, you know, do the best you can. So it's, it's probably a good sign that they were saying, okay, well let's keep tinkering a little bit. Let's keep spending ungodly <laughs> amounts of money. on. <laughs> yeah. This. That's the other. Yeah. Well, and it's, they're making a sequel to like a billion dollar movie. So I get where they want to feel like they got it, it right. Yeah. But doesn't it feel like it's going to make, if it makes half of that they'll be lucky I, I, I think it'll do it'll do well but I think there are some factors just like I think it was a massive movie in China and like one other place where I must say Russia maybe where you're mm-hmm. not where you're that's not really a factor I mean they, they are releasing some American blockbusters in China but people are, do not seem to be going in the, as big numbers that's another article I pulled for this week that I actually just didn't think we were going to have time for but it's a whole article about how like Hollywood movies have completely lost their luster over there yeah like they just do not they're not going. Yeah, to the American same movies. way that they kind of did over here. Um, yeah, uh, just on a different timeline. So yeah. I do, I do think Aquaman's kind of starting off with a you know a bunch of uh, potential problems in that you know this DC thing is winding down. China's not China, which was a big supporter of the movie, is not going to be there this time, and is probably as big numbers. Uh, I think like on the face of it, I I think a part of it is also if they keep that release date, they were talking about moving it right now it's like the big holiday movie so like that'll probably help a lot if, if they suddenly go oh let's put it out next summer i mean maybe i don't know who knows i don't know how these things work but 
it was wild hearing that they were kind of going back and forth on like, well, which Batman are we going to be using? So like they shot it with Keaton and then they reshot it with Affleck. And now they're maybe going to have neither of them because neither of them have really been in a hit <laughs> movie as well. Batman. Yeah. And they they're trying to I think before the idea was, well, if we allude to these things, people will be happy that like somewhere these characters exist in the future. Like, yeah. Even if there's no more movies coming. Right. In this, well, in this I, universe where now they're like. Uh, fuck it. Get them all out. We don't, yeah. we don't want to be connected to that That's really anymore. what, like, that's really what The Flash did. Like, I think people sort of mistook The Flash stuff for, like, oh, they're this is just a commercial for another movie. And in The Flash, really, most of those, is, like, besides those, you know, kind of wilder bringing people back from the dead ones. But, like, the what Batman and Wonder Woman being that movie is just more like... Well, yeah, we're acknowledging that this is set in the universe of those movies. And, like, the Flash knows Batman and Wonder Woman. And it would be kind of silly to just be like, oh, no, this is a completely standalone. Um, and I think they were doing that with Aquaman. I think Parsh, I get I, that you could also read in that article that at some point, again, this was like a couple administrations ago, they were going to think, oh, well, maybe Michael Keaton's Batman can be sort of the gateway to, like, you know, a kind of... The they Fu- wanted him to be a Nick Fury figure. Yeah, and before they before they do decide to do like a hard James Gunn done, you know, uh, real reboot, they were like, well, maybe we can kind of transition. And you know, Affleck doesn't want to do this anymore. His movies weren't that popular. Maybe we transition into the Keaton Batman from the alternate universe of the Flash being this guy. And, you know, it's like loose enough that you don't need, to, you know, they can kind of pick and choose, right? Like, who, I think there was probably an idea that like, yeah, we'll keep making Aquaman and Wonder Woman movies and maybe we'll do some other stuff that is unrelated. But, you know, because Keaton was also in that shelved Batgirl movie, which I can't believe we're not seeing. <laughs> there was like a, yeah. a whole movie with a Michael Keaton Bat- Bat- Batman and uh, Brendan Fraser off his Oscar performance and that they're just like, fuck it, we don't want anyone to see it. Um, so it just does seem like a, they just really got caught in the grinding gears of like multiple executives and different directions for this thing. And I feel like it's something that as much as people say that's already happened with a bunch of other DC movies, I don't feel like that's actually ha- like I feel like a lot of the DC movies so far pretty much work does their own thing if they were. I mean, some of them don't work, but the ones that do work like Aquaman and Wonder Woman already kind of did that like they were those were also caught in between different kind of ideas about what these universes were going to be but they were just good enough movies that it doesn't it didn't really matter and Aquaman it seems like it's you know going to end up ground out a little bit it's just surprising to see because James Wan I think of as being as like having good instincts with his you know his movies are all very popular and he has you know he's a smart filmmaker so it's weird to hear oh his movie wasn't testing well just because it's hard for me to imagine what a what a James Wan movie that doesn't test well looks like unless it was like one of his gnarly horror movies from early in his career in which case then I would understand I can understand Dead Silence not testing well but I doubt that <laughs> Aquaman is like the Dead Silence of superhero movies so. I mean it's been in post for 18 months yeah principal photography wrapped January 2022 and it seems you know Wan has been on board the whole time directing all the reshoots I feel like He's probably one more uh, Zoom call away from quitting this fucking yeah. movie. <laughs> saying, like enough. Well, and then, you know, there's probably uh, probably some filmmakers wish they were afforded this amount of time if something isn't working to say, you know what, sure. go, go back and then we'll give you some more money and time to fix it. Like I'm sure yeah. there's other filmmakers who were like, God damn it, I wish I could have done that. But I'm sure it's also grinding to like work on a movie for this fucking I ball. love <laughs> the part of the article that's like, it tested badly, tested badly. The new Warner bosses got involved uh, they were terrified. They had new ideas. They they had uh, one of the one of the uh, 
Pam Abdi took a str- new new boss. Pam Abdi took a strong creative stance. Got involved with the editing. They tested that cut and it scored even lower. Yeah, <laughs> which means that then they reshot it again. So it's just like it's I, as someone who's been at Yahoo for three or four different regimes. Yeah, where diff- where people keep coming in and enacting their vision that's like slightly different than before, but also actually the same and actually shouldn't have happened because we've already done that before and there's reasons why it won't work. It's just total. People coming in who have no... It's like, you're out of your element. Classic, yeah. you're out of your element shit. Yeah. And that's what happens here. It's so funny to see it happen in a movie. Because like, this is the type of shit that happens everywhere. In every corporate level, at every job. Just people who have no business telling, making creative decisions, trying to do so. I just can't believe I'm reading this article. Like, James Wan... Like, I know these movies are made by committee and clearly by studio executives. But like Aquaman felt like a movie that... like, uh, J- like It felt like a movie. It felt like a James Wan movie. It didn't feel like that much like a studio, like boardroom movie. Where this one sounds like it's really going to be uh, tested to that degree. And I, I, I'm just, I feel bad for Wan, which yeah. maybe is silly, but I feel bad that he's like has to keep falling to the whims of whatever, who's ever, whoever's in the CEO chair at the time. Uh, seems like a pain in the ass. Yeah. And James Wan is said to have weighed in on a recent cut and approved a new five day shoot. And that shoot went so well that they did what they only need. They did what they needed to do in four days. So that just happened. Um, it was greenlit at two hundred five million, and has only bu- ballooned since then. So who knows what it costs? Yeah. Um, and let's see how Blue Beetle does next month. <laughs> Jesus Christ, that feels like a bomb. Anyway, the Continental from the world of John Wick is now a three-part event series. Starting September 22nd on Peacock. Uh, that means it airs 22nd, 29th, and October 6th. That's all we know about the Continental John Wick prequel series with a bunch of people in it, I believe, including Mel Gibson and a bunch of other people whose names I don't recognize. Before I forget, I just want to recommend a new Shudder movie out this weekend. It's out now on Shudder. It's called Shark Exploitation, and it is a documentary about the shark movie genre that started with Jaws and has been imitated a bajillion times ever since and has kind of morphed over time into this other thing that's like direct-to-video crap, Sharknado, etc. It is a comprehensive look at uh, shark movies, way more thorough than you'd expect, kind of academic. They talk to academic genre academics. They talk to filmmakers. Roger Corman's interviewed. It's actually genuinely great, and I think you should watch it. Shark exploitation. Check it out. I think big Jaws fans will love it, and even casual Jaws fans will find plenty to like. It's great. Shark exploitation on Shutter. Did you see? I know this is like low stakes stuff, but I think there's a lot of people who watch those straight to video DC animated movies uh-huh. and they just announced one that I actually am interested in. They're going to do Watchmen as a DC animated movie. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I think that's interesting. I don't love the Snyder movie. I think I loved it at the time. I haven't watched it in a while, but I'm interested in revisiting it. I think the HBO show was great. Did you watch that? I did not actually. I think you should. I think it's great. I heard it's genuinely good. cool. And the mo- and it's because it's not an adaptation of the book. It's like a a future right like, it's like, like a more sequ- sort of, of sequel to in it. this world yeah. yeah exactly uh have you read it i have yeah the re- the book i've read and i the movie is weird but <laughs> i mean the movie kind of yeah. like, kind of misses what's good about the book uh but yeah the book is terrific <laughs> agree the movie does miss what's good about the book and the squid misses yes the squid. it misses the squid 
Um, a couple indie horror updates. I wanted to mention The Becomers is a genre-bending horror comedy from Zach Clark, who happens to be a uh, PR lovely woman and friend of the show, uh, Kayla Hare's uh, boyfriend. Uh, he has a new movie called The Becomers. I hear it's great. It's at Fantasia Festival this week or whatever that festival is. And I'm, I'm excited to see it. I missed a friend's screening this week, and I'm pissed about it. But the trailer just dropped for The Becomers, so check that out. And also, there's a new Larry Fassenden movie, Blackout. And it's a werewolf movie, I believe. Oh, cool. And that just played at either Fantasia or somewhere else. And I hear it's great. So I wanted to put those on people's radars. And I think that's it. The only thing I have is that the FX Alien series has started production in Thailand without its main stars who are SAG members due to the strike. (laughs) But there's a bunch of other people in it who aren't SAG members. So I think it's filming certain stuff. No idea. But that's ongoing. Uh, all right, let's get into Cobweb, the movie everyone went to see this weekend, for sure. <laughs> the packing the theaters with cobwebs. Do you think <laughs> it was me setting you up to think this movie was horrible that led you to think it was just okay? Yeah. Or- uh, it didn't hurt. It didn't hurt, as they say. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, th- I think that probably helped because I I would you know I, I wouldn't give this movie a thumbs up exactly, but I didn't think it was a miserable time and kind of was kind of with it. Uh, I went up it. half a star this morning when I rewatched it. <laughs> just I'll a few that. more a few more views and you'll get up to thumbs up. On it. <laughs> it's just it's... well, it's just that I think it has such good ideas and I think the movie is very bad at getting them across and I think it gets in its own way with its. I don't know if the structure is the right word. It's just like, it's a movie that I think relies on you not thinking the parents are bad. (laughs) And it's very clear they are. Yeah. And it just doesn't work. And like, I feel like you could take it as from an abused boy's perspective, he would think his parents are safe. And like, I I think that's really interesting. Yeah. And I just don't think the movie, I think it deserves a better movie than what we get. And then I feel like that third act is so clunkily like, Let's get some let's get some bodies in this room so we right. can have some yeah. some horror movie carnage happen. Uh, we're talking uh, we're getting all over the place, but uh, uh, please walk yeah, me the, through the movie. Cobweb. The movie is about a young boy played by Woody Norman, who was the kid in Come On, Come On, the Mike Mills movie for a few years back. Um, That's who he is. Yes. Oh my god. Yes. Okay. Yeah. He um, he's his parents. He's British, which is mind blowing. Yeah, and it's, I think so is Anthony Starr. I'm not. I could be wrong about that. Anthony Starr plays his dad. He's the guy from Homelander from from the um, the program The Boys. And Lizzie Kaplan plays his mom. They, I don't know that the movie does mean for you to think that they're good because they immediately have weird vibes. Weird. That's the yes. They have like homeschool sort of like you know out of, somewhat out of time or sort of unsettling vibes. So he's not quite in an abusive situation immediately, or like it doesn't seem like he is. But there is something odd, and so when he hears bumps in the night you know you I, I, you know he hears like knocking on his wall in the middle of the night and he goes to his parents you know f- for help as you do when you're that age he's like a, i'd say eight or nine maybe ten years old and uh they kind of dismiss his concerns again as, as horror movie parents often do but there's something a little bit off about the way they do dismiss him and when he starts doing a lot of the kind of typical horror movie kid stuff the creepy drawings etc his new teacher at school 
who is a substitute teacher for reasons, I guess, that just to make her new around Halloween. Otherwise, I don't really understand why she needs to be a substitute. But anyway, um, who's played by Cleopatra Coleman. She takes an interest in him and tries to help him. And she's also kind of put off by the parents. And you don't and the kind of movie is sort of predicated on what is making that noise in the wall. He starts talking to someone that he hears behind the wall. Is he imagining this? Is this something his parents are covering up? Uh, is there something else going on where he might be crazy, but his parents are also creepy? And here's what I'll say about the movie that in terms of why it doesn't really 100% work. One reason it doesn't 100% work, I, I think. I am completely stealing this observation from someone else um, because I saw, I was looking at reviews, which are surprisingly good. It's one of those movies that got good reviews almost by not being widely reviewed. <laughs> you know, I'm sure more yes. wide reviews of this would probably cause the tomato meter to tick down a bit. But one of the negative reviews of it said that it felt like an episode of a horror anthology series, you know, like it doesn't really, it feels like a 42 minute mm. thing, 45 minute thing that doesn't really sustain over a feature. And it's, you know, not may, way longer than that without credit. Yeah, it's, it's like, like 80 82. minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I agree with that to some extent that it does feel that way. And I think that is the reason for the biggest problem I have with the movie, which is that I never, I'm going to sound like Gene Siskel here on a classic Siskel and Lieber. I didn't buy the yeah. kid's relationship with his parents. It didn't feel, it does not feel lived in. It does not feel like you can imagine what the first 10 years of this kid's life has been like. It feels like it just sort of materialized two weeks before the movie started. Uh, it doesn't, 100%. it does not feel like, Oh, there's this depth of this kind of twisted, but, but interdependent relationship where he feels love from his parents, but also is starting to suspect there's something off about them. It just doesn't give that impression. It's too, and in a TV show, in an anthology show, a tales from the crypt type of thing. You wouldn't, you wouldn't it, have time to do all that character development, yeah, you so wouldn't, it's fine. You wouldn't yeah. expect it, and it's okay to just drop in, and it's just like a spooky story, uh, you know, autumnal horror movie, Halloween set kind of thing. So, in that sense, it does make more sense as an episode of an anthology series, and it doesn't ever really get over the fact that it doesn't work as, like, a kind of human drama. But what I appreciate about it is that I think it has a lot of things that are really positive about an episode of anthology type of, uh, type of TV tour TV series in yeah. that it gets to the kind of the meat of the story pretty quickly. It has mm -hmm. a kind of stylization of costumes and sets and sometimes cinematography that I really enjoyed. It has, I don't think the performances are especially great, but it's kind of fun to see Lizzie Kaplan in this mode, even though it's not one of her great performances. Again, it's exactly how you would see it if it was like a Tales from the Crypt guest star. Like, oh, it's fun to see this star do this thing for it's a limited like a amount of time. A purposefully hammy Lizzie Kaplan? Yes, she's definitely it's doing it. It's very affected. Uh, on purpose. Like, I mean, it's a completely it's, on yes. purpose. But I feel like she's like, like it's, she's like, it's director led astray type of performance. Yes. Where yes. less than like her fault. Yes. And I actually thought Star has more, like, made me. I actually thought Star was better than her. In this, he was, which he is was crazy. better yeah. at, I think, doing the sort of mask, trying to mask menace with normal behavior than she is. She just seems very strange from the out from the get go. Uh, yeah. Star, although he does also remind me of what I don't like about the boys, which is that he people love his performance on the boys, and I just don't get it. He plays Homelander, and wouldn't you know it? The I mean, some of this is just in the writing of the show. The handsome Captain America type of guy. Are you ready? Are you sitting down, Brett? turns mm -hmm. out to be kind of a psycho and a bad guy mm. like yeah. that's the up level and like that's the level his performance is operating on you could always see it, like his his performance in that show and to an extent in this movie part of why it doesn't work for for me is that you're going okay no one would know no one would think he's the guy he looks like like the who he appears yeah. to be does not register at all 
because uh, you could just tell that he's hiding something. And it's he's not one of those actors who's really good. I think of like this is a random comparison, but like Terry O'Quinn in The Stepfather, where oh yeah, they, it's like a master, really master performance where he's a complete psycho, but he's able. Who to Who am keep I it, here? Yeah, where he's able to keep that underneath a little bit. So there's something menacing about him, but you can't put your finger on. It. You can always put your finger on it with Star, at least in this movie and in The Boys. And that's kind of the problem with the whole movie is that you can put your finger on like, hey, these guys seem creepy. Wouldn't you know what they are? But I enjoyed the kind of autumn mood of the movie, the pumpkin patch. There's some great stuff with like casting the shadows of the parents on the wall. It's some really cool I actually wrote that down too. I literally like, I love that shot of the yeah. looming star yeah. shadow. Yeah. And they do a couple yeah. of different things with shadows that I thought were kind of neat. I like the, I like in fact, in fact, the, what the movie ends up doing is kind of a weird ambiguity about what exactly is going on with this, this thing that the kid is talking to. And I found that sort of shivery and creepy. And again, it doesn't really work. It just doesn't like completely yeah, bring I it I thought home. it was weirdly specific and does explain it. And I'm like, <laughs> this doesn't make any sense at all. <laughs> I, I, I think there's there's a little bit of ambiguity about like what exactly happened to bring this character to where they where they are. In a way that I was like, oh, this is kind of intriguing. And it, do, it doesn't, I guess I had a little bit of like, I hope this doesn't spoil anything. But it, you know, when you're talking about. Uh, I want to be vague and we can get, eventually get yeah, to spoilers. Because okay, okay. I do want to yeah. discuss. There's it, a comparison at, point at, at for this length. movie that, that I kind of, I probably enjoyed more just because I happened to really love what the movie was made me think of, even though the movie's not nearly as good. So I wouldn't, I, you know, I'm not going to go to bat for this. It's still kind of a marginal thumbs down for me, but it's kind of an affectionate thumbs down. And honestly, this is going to, this will be more of a mic drop when more people have seen this, but like, I enjoyed this as much as talk to me, probably more. <laughs> like, wow. probably, I like found it less annoying than talk to me, to be honest. Uh, some of it was absolutely expectations. Cause I had heard talk to me was great from you and from others. And I had heard this was horrible from you and from no one else. Cause no one else even bothered watching it. <laughs> so <laughs> it was definitely like, I threw on the screener and was like, Oh, okay. This was actually kind of, I had kind of, I wasn't bored. I had kind of had fun with it. Um, but, you know, I, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily. I just, I felt some, I, I like, I, you know, I'm very tired of like Amblin kid horror kind of stuff. And this, I felt like, okay, this genuinely feels like creepy kid stuff rather than, you know, kids on an adventure ripping off the Goonies type of stuff. I liked the mood of it. I liked the kind of atmosphere of it, even though ultimately the characters don't work and the movie doesn't quite, doesn't, doesn't bring it home. <laughs> Um, but I kind of, I don't know. I was okay with it. The movie I will evoke that it reminded me of that I don't like is The Black Phone. Yeah, it has it like, did, I did think of The Black Phone, and I also liked it more than that. Yeah, for sure. It just has so many de- like very derivative modern horror tropes that I made. it made me think of Black Phone. It made me think of, what else did I write down? I feel like it eventually pivots to wanting to do like malignant stuff. Um, I think it has... It's just so funny. When I found out this was a blacklist script from 2018, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. That, <laughs> that, that checks out. Um, it's something about this. So I asked, I asked you if you felt like the movie was like lost in the edit or like poorly put together, cut down to 80 minutes, and a lot of stuff was missing. Because for the reasons you mentioned, like it opens and you're just like in this family and doesn't feel right. doesn't feel like there's, there's not enough setup or something and it just never feels believable. And... The second time I was able to key in a little more, I mean, I already felt this the first time, but I felt that a horror movie about abuse of a kid is like ripe, but you have to be careful with that type of material. And it, I just don't think it does that 
that story justice. Like, what if your parents actually did not have your best interests in mind? Yeah. And, like, a kid not being able to see beyond, like, these are my parents. Of course they're go- they're here t- yeah. for me. The movie waffles a bit on how abusive they are and how much history is there. Again, that's where it really plays into, like, the, like, oh, boy, this does not feel like a real relationship. Because I was that was one thing I was unclear about and didn't necessarily think serve the story the way some of the other ambiguities did in terms of, like, there's a point fairly early in the movie where he's locked in a, the kid is locked in a basement by his parents as a punishment. Why doesn't he say anything until the washing machine goes off? Yes. He waits till there's noise. It's so stupid. Well, I and like, that. and it's unclear to me how often this has happened in the past, how used to, how nor, how weird or not we are we or normal. He thinks it is all that stuff in terms of like, what were they doing a year ago? You know, was he just had never hit. He, I think the idea is supposed to be, he had never really done anything that they considered misbehaving. Uh, and has been as he's been growing up and be, becoming more kind of suspicious of them, more more able to be kind of scared by what's going on. He, he sort of reaches this point where they say, "Okay, we really have to punish you now." So I don't think the implication is that they've been locking him in the basement for years and stuff like that. But then, and then there's other reasons why there might be sort of like facilities for locking him in a hidden room in the basement. But it's not really clear in a way that does kind of harm the movie because you don't know what their relationship is. And that, yeah, you're absolutely right. When you're playing with something like a kind of abusive dynamic between parent and child, you really have to, like, do it well. Or else you're going to seem like you're just exploiting it the way that Black Phone to me felt like, oh, Jesus, they're just using this for cheap, like, sick thrills and then idiotic catharsis. I didn't feel quite that way about this movie, but I do think it's kind of careless with how he evokes that. It's very screenwriterly. I'm not, you know, of course you would never say, oh, this person never suffered. I mean, you don't know what anything, what anyone's histories are, but it doesn't feel lived in. That's for damn sure. Like, the, whatever they've been able to convey about it on the page, uh, it does not come through about, like, those experiences. Uh, and that ultimately does make the movie feel kind of muddled in a way that doesn't serve it very well, well yeah it's never grounded in reality it yeah. just starts at this kid's life is like comically a, a terrible yes and it just keeps getting more and, and more I, so i think there's some room for again that really makes it feel like a good fodder for a tv show where you can get you want something to jump in quickly you, you know like it could have been a good cabinet of curiosities episode for for guillermo del toro's thing on netflix uh, yeah. Where you always you always kind of have to jump in with the weirdness because you can't you don't have time to say oh let's set up a normal world and then violate it, um, and I so I kind of enjoyed it on that stuff on that level I enjoyed that it sort of went there already without giving you the twenty minutes of boilerplate of like ooh something might be wrong like they kind of you know they go to the weird wallpaper and the creepy drawings and the creepy noises in like the first eight minutes and I was like good <laughs> I don't have a lot of time here <laughs> it's like the setup is botched in both ways where like we don't get the family dynamic it just is a immediately bad and it doesn't feel real and then they also don't set up what becomes a big reveal later a different plot twist yeah like what the tapping on the wall ends up actually being yeah so like the reveal of that is just like it's just confounding you're just like okay what yeah and it's just like it's like a hat on a hat as well because like i was actually i think it's a whole it would have a whole extra half star for me they would not they keep piling on these half stars yeah (laughs) but it would have an extra one I think if it just let it be, let's get into spoilers um, for Cobweb. So turn this off if you haven't seen the movie. Um, I was totally down for, well, obviously they're teasing you with the idea of a girl went missing earlier. Yes. Uh, Trick or treater. The movie set on Halloween. I feel like this movie is a, isn't a bad Halloween movie because like 
It's set around Halloween, and it does a very bad job of looking like a Halloween movie. I would say. Oh, I don't know. It um, has but, it has the pumpkin. Here they have a pumpkin patch in their backyard. I love that. Yeah, but, but like it doesn't evoke. It, it, I I agree. I know it's there, but like all of it doesn't doesn't evoke Halloween the way I want it to, and I don't know why. That's like a fall autumn problem yeah. or something. Or like the movie just like do, too dark for me or uh-huh. something. I don't know. But um, what was I saying? There's I a girl that goes missing yeah. on Halloween, a trick or treater that they that they allude to earlier. And then, so, uh, well, I, uh, so I, I couldn't remember either. What they, they, there's a girl who goes missing on Halloween. Girl they, who goes missing on her, Halloween. Yeah. And they tell a story about, like, that's why he's not allowed to go out trick-or-treating. Right. He wants to be a normal kid, do normal stuff. Yeah. He's being treated like a weirdo by his parents who are clearly sheltering him. Yes. And he doesn't, he doesn't have friends at school. We see him bullied cartoonishly, of course. But the girl, the big reveal, I would say, is that the girl? I think the movie wants you to think the girl is missing because she's the one in the walls. Yes, and like they kidnapped her for whatever reason. But the end, the, the reveal ends up being, no, I'm your sister, and um, when I'm your sister who's hidden in the walls, and when this little girl showed up on to trick or treat, and saw me asking for help to be let out of my cage where the, our parents keep us, they had to kill her because they saw me. That's what happens. And I think that's cool. Yeah. And I'm like, that's fucked up. That explains their abusiveness. It doesn't really explain how this kid has been clueless his whole life with this this sister who's like a monster next right, door. Right, yeah. That doesn't make any sense at all. Um, and the movie falls apart if you think about it. But I thought that was a compelling explanation for who's in the wall. And then the movie goes a whole other step further that I would argue it doesn't need to go. Because what happens is... I also love this. The boy ends up using some huge spoiler. The boy ends up using rat poison, which was foreshadowed earlier. Yes. To kill both his parents. He poisons their food. Yes. And like they die with like 20 minutes left in the movie. And yes. you're like, wow, what the fuck is this? Like what could possibly happen now? And then the sister in the walls is revealed to be like a mo- like a some sort of creature. I, I don't know how do you des- describe it other than she has a CGI face. Yes. She is a weird creature that crawls on the walls like a hereditary mom, but also like, you know, any bendy jerky. Yeah, yeah, bendy jerky horror girl. She's got the exorcist crab walk backwards thing going on. Um, And it just becomes this thing where the bullies from Act One show up (laughs) all of a sudden at the house to like fuck with this kid, which is totally unbelievable to me also. Um, and then they also have the substitute show up separately. It's just, it felt, this is where I, this is is why I was like, it feels like this movie reshot in its entire third act because someone decided we can't have a movie about abuse of children. Make it a supernatural thing where some monster kills a bunch of kids at the end. Like, that's what we want to see. Yeah. It just felt like a completely different movie. And I don't understand the, like, I wrote down all her dialogue because she is basically telling you, like, how she feels out loud. And, um... You know, the mom, before she dies, she's like, don't let her out. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, what's that about? And it's like, okay, so this sister is a supernatural monster with long hair and spiders in her hair, which gets the title cobweb that actually doesn't... That is where the title comes from, but it doesn't really mean anything. It's very stupid, I would argue. Um, But, like, I don't understand the messaging with the sister. Like, is it just, like firstborn resentment like is that what this horror movie is about because she's like when you were born they were so happy and then i was born and they screamed so daddy made me a pit and he built me a cage and you were in a warm bed i was suffering among cobwebs learning how to climb how to bite learning how to make you do what i want and like 
Yeah, I my think... my feeling yeah, was ahead. that I just assumed she wasn't a supernatural creature, really. That she was like, or that it was sort of like the the sort of like the descent, <laughs> which which doesn't I mean, to the extent that that even makes sense. It makes even less sense here that yeah. she became sort of vaguely superpowered after adapting to the dark. You know, like not that she oh, was sure. like literally a ghost creature, but she does behave exactly like a ghost creature. So it is confusing and weird, and some of that ambiguity. So it's like a kind of I th- like a barbarian of, lady in the basement. Yes, thing. yes, like sort of you've you've become this other thing from being stores from being. Being abused yeah, yeah yeah which i kind of liked and i, I kind of like the ambiguity of like is this creature like g- woman slash girl telling the truth or you know is it something that's like enhanced by his own you know feelings toward his parents or what i think they could have definitely got that ambiguity could have been teased out in a more productive way because you're right it's confusing um i kind of I was not everyone yeah. can be perfect like you i was <laughs> born a monster yeah it's just I was, and like, yeah, I wanted a little more specific. Like, so how so? Like, <laughs> like what was it? I'm, you know, picturing the thing in Batman Returns where the they, the Penguin Child, you know, like, but but that doesn't yeah. seem to be what the case either. So it's a little, it is confusing. Um, well, and yeah. like, I think I get the ultimate message of the movie is like about escaping your family lineage and doomed. Like, you're doomed to repeat the st- mistakes that your parents make, or like you have a hereditary mental illness like your sister, and you probably have it too, or something. Like, I don't know. It was weird because. I actually think it's cool that, like, the whole plot was her just, like, trying to manipulate him into killing the parents. Like, that's actually cool. Yeah. And she gets away with it. But it's, like, a movie about an abused kid not knowing his parents are abusing him. And so it's cool that he kills them. But then you realize, like, his sister – it just it, – it confuses the whole thing to me. Because it's, like, it just is, it feels like a hat on a hat on a hat situation. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah, it is confusing. Uh, I, I'll give you that. I, I enjoy Also, yeah. the trailer is sold on a nightmare sequence uh, with Lizzie Kaplan having the nightmare demon hands. And oh, yeah. <laughs> that's scary. That's why the trailer went viral. People were I like, see. ooh, creepy Lizzie Kaplan. It's one of those things where it's like, yeah, this was a, this was a nightmare moment in the movie. It's not a real part yeah, of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of stuff in this movie that you really feel like could have been fined into, tuned into kind of a, you know, if not an instant classic, certainly a really solid one. Um, but yeah. I, I at least enjoyed that I felt surprised by it. I didn't feel like, oh, I know exactly where this is going at any point in the movie. Or, like, in the first 10 minutes, you kind of do feel like you know exactly where it's going. You know, creepy kid, hears noises, draws yeah. it. Missing parent, girl on the wall. Yeah, miss, yeah. Miss, uh, parents don't believe him. And then after that, even if even though it goes too far into being confusing and, and, and ambiguous slash just, like, not that clear, uh, at least I didn't – I was – I what part of what kept me interested – is that I was going? Wow. Okay, this is not what I was. Uh, this is not the boring shit I was expecting from from this from the beginning of this movie. Um, it does not. Again, it doesn't really work. And the, I think the teacher character, especially again, I don't. I didn't watch it going. Oh, this was definitely stuff cut out. I I did th- kind of feel like, oh, this you know this seems like this is what they wanted. I think I, it's, it is hard to tell. Granted, the, the one that felt most awkward to me after the parent child relationship that doesn't make any sense. The teacher thing really doesn't play like it just like that is something that feels like a spare part from another movie that they kind of feel like there needs to be another adult in the room who who's more caring and more you know um more traditionally like a nice adult than the parents an unambiguously good character and yeah, she's miss divine yeah <laughs> what the fuck and that stuff like she tries she like slips him his her number by like writing it in plain sight on a test she has like very little pretense to bring to him after he's expelled from school that stuff is very clumsily handled um 
I don't, maybe that was something that was rewritten or changed or re-edited, but that was the kind of thing where I was like, this must be what they wanted because this isn't a solution. This isn't a viable solution to something else. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, yeah. if they had been able to, if they were truncating stuff, surely they would have truncated the shit out of that because it doesn't make any sense. But maybe I'm giving them too much credit. That part of the movie did not work very well for me at all. And you're right. She just shows up at the end for just, at, after weeks, I like when weeks of mulling like when- it over, she's suddenly like, I should go to the house again. <laughs> I like when he's bleeding. <laughs> he's bleeding from his arm terribly. Yeah. And he's like, ah, oh, no, I'm just cut myself. Oh, Don't yeah, worry about yeah. it. Yeah, that's the kind of thing where the, a really good movie would have, that would make really make a meal of that scene. And instead, yeah. no one just, no one acts the way a normal person would act in that situation. Um, it's So yeah. it's kind of confusing. But I, there were a lot of things, about, a lot of individual moments and scenes that I thought were interesting and cool in this movie. I just, you know, it, it doesn't, it does not come together. It doesn't come together, and, you know, if you want to watch a movie about uh, somebody hiding in the walls, I think we have a better recommendation for you. We sure do, yeah, and that's exactly the movie I was thinking of, and that kind of made me uh, made me a little more affectionate toward it, that it was made me think of the boy. Um, yes. And I, I said on Letterboxd that this g- gave me a little bit of Brahms vibes, and someone, I think, Rand- was it Randall? Uh, our, our buddy Randall, I think said, yeah. that is, I think it was him, maybe it was someone else, but he said, uh, well, it's important to note, though, is it Brahms from the boy or Brahms two vibes, and I would say probably bo- like both, and that's why the yeah, movie doesn't. Really, that's why the movie yeah. doesn't really work ultimately. But that is also why I, why I enjoyed a lot of it is because it gave me. And I and I like the boy two more than most people, I think, but it's still a sort of mixed on it, and it definitely eventually lands more on the Brahms two side of things. Unfortunately, sweet, yeah, sweet it's Brahms. just. It's just covered in such generic tropes all over the place, including the score that's like a woman going, yeah, oh yeah, the, the kind of the, the poor man's Danny Elfman uh, score. Yeah, no, no, thank you, no, thank you. I love the. It just I laughed out loud the second time I watched it when it just cuts to like the bullies outside casing the house, yeah. about to show up I'm with like, their horror movie masks. They're suddenly yeah. they're the strangers like going. Yeah. In there. <laughs> we're gonna fucking home invade while the kids they don't know the parents were weird, so they're just gonna, like we hope that the parents aren't home, yeah. or maybe we'll kick the parents' ass too. Like it doesn't make any sense. I love. There's a part where Anthony Starr tries to like teach his son a lesson through like a metaphor about the about the pumpkins. Yes, and I'm like, I don't think he's gonna track the metaphor if he can barely tell that you're abusing him. I'm sorry. He was like, black rot kills the whole garden, son. It spreads fast. You got to get rid of it now or all the healthy pumpkins will get affected. Uh, we can't have that. We can't have that. We have to bury the pumpkins yeah. and hope that the next crop is better. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, your sister was bad, so we killed her, yeah. and you better be good or we'll kill you too. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, you got it. Yeah. And the kid's just <laughs> sitting there like doe-eyed, like, yeah. God, I love these guys. Yeah. I love my parents. They're such. They're such nice parents. <laughs> yeah. They're looking out for me. I love them so much. They made me. Uh, they make me the same soup every day yeah. with no differences. <laughs> oh, see, that's another thing. I have a nice, real visceral, like, ooh, that's gross, and I love the like, even though it's very obvious, and there's no fucking rat poison that smells like cinnamon. I, <laughs> I, I still love that weird little touch, and it's also felt very autumnal, like the cinnamon scented poison soup. Oh, I like that. That was. Uh, I took. I got a kick out of that. But you're right. It doesn't. It, you know. It, it, the more I, as you're talking about, it, I do get how it would be a frustrating experience going if you were watching this with any kind of expectation that it might be good um, and yeah. g- going, Oh, well I can see the 10 different places where this could have been really good. And it's not. Yeah. That, that is annoying. So, but I watched it with the expectation that it was going to be terrible. And then I was like, Oh, there's some cool parts. 
Yeah, it just it doesn't justify like mom and dad are acting strange. It's like you don't really feel like it really answers anything <laughs> in a way that's satisfying. I'm just no. like, okay, you just did a bunch of different stuff. But I guess you're right. It does misdirect you. It does. So there's that. It does have. Um, it, it really is a count. I didn't think about Barbarian while I was watching it, but when you bring that up, it makes sense because that movie is so satisfying at every turn, and this yeah. movie is fairly baffling at every turn. So it's a real counterpoint of like, oh yeah, well, when you're not getting the Barbarian effect, here's what you're getting. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh. uh so confusing i just wish it was a, i don't know i don't know what i wish the ending revealed but like when the parents get killed with rat poison there's 20 minutes left and then it just becomes this like picking off bullies thing i was just like i guess this is like kind of cool like there's some fun gore in that section but yeah. like it's just a weird movie yeah uh a weird movie directed by or edited by kevin Groider, oh who directed saw x and edited all the saw movies so keeping it in the Lionsgate family over there uh, with Kevin Groider. Um I think that's it. That's all we have to say about Cobweb. Check out the Patreon feed midweek for our Barbie Oppenheimer episode. And what's going on next week? Haunted Mansion and Talk to Me. I don't know how we're going to handle that. A cavalcade of... Uh, I've seen, I haven't seen Haunted Mansion, but I it can't... I mean, Talk to Me, I know, is about as child-inappropriate as it happens. As, so yes. uh, maybe I, we'll just do a double feature. Uh, if I, I can't imagine we'll have a lot to say about haunted mansion, yeah, but maybe true. we will. Maybe, yeah, so uh, we'll see. We'll play it by ear. But there'll be a but horror definitely movie. Get, yes. Definitely get on the Patreon for the Barbie Oppenheimer. Cause Oppenheimer is a horror movie. God damn it. Yes. We're going to talk about it uh, on there. Okay. Bye. <laughs> Lifestyle. Forgive me if I don't stay around to watch. I just can't cope with the freaky stuff.